Open our minds, O oh God. Open our hearts, open our lives, that we might hear this word, and that word might indeed touch us and change us. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Old Testament lesson this morning is from a portion of Psalm 27. We're told that King David wrote this psalm, but they don't believe he wrote it all at one time. And you'll notice a change in the tone of it after about the sixth verse. Uh, he's very positive and upbeat in the first half of the psalm, and then things begin to get a little difficult for him. And so I invite you to turn in your pew Bibles to Psalm 27. We're reading verses 4 through 9 this morning as our um, Old Testament lesson. And you'll notice a little shift in about verse 7. Listen now for God's word. One thing I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will set me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around about me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. Thou hast said, Seek ye my face. My heart says to thee, Thy face, Lord, do I seek. So hide not thy face from me. Turn not thy servant away in anger, thou who hast been my help. Cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our New Testament reading comes from Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 22. A little context for today's passage. Last week, if you were here, uh, we kicked into uh, the Gospel of Matthew together, walking alongside Jesus, starting in Matthew 3, the first time we see Jesus as, as an adult on the scene. And he's baptized, and, and he speaks his first words in the entire Gospel. Let this baptism happen to me so that I may do the will of God. And then we move in today to Matthew 4, where, where Jesus has recently moved to Galilee in the small town of Capernaum in the area of Zebulon and Naphtali. Now those may, names may mean next to nothing to, to many of us, but Matthew goes on to explain, Jesus has moved here early in his ministry, quote, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. And many years ago, the prophet Isaiah said this, and Matthew records it in his gospel, land of Zebulon, land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Two key things are said about those lands where Jesus has just moved at the very beginning of his ministry. These are lands that are living in darkness, and indeed, in Jesus' day, they were held under oppressive Roman rule and occupation uh, with an extraordinarily high taxation system. So that, for instance, if you were a fisher, you fished simply to live and scrape by because any measure of profit was swallowed under those taxes. And these were lands, uh, though they were living in darkness, that were the same places that are to receive a great light dawning upon them. 
It practically begs the question, well then what does it look like when the light starts to dawn on these lands where Jesus has just moved? It's as if on cue, Matthew continues with the answer. Here now, Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 22, the dawning of light upon a land living in the shadow of death. As Jesus walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, I will make you fish for people. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. And Jesus went from there and he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets. And he called to them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Matthew kind of sets us up at the out, earlier in chapter 4 to be looking for some kind of glorious light breaking upon the darkness. It's, it's, it's prophetic, it's almost epic what we're looking for. And I think part of what strikes me about this story in Matthew 4 verses 18 to 22 that I just read is it's just the absolute ordinariness of what happens next. Peter and Andrew are casting a net into the sea, and then Matthew adds, for they were fishermen. As if Matthew just wants to underscore how absolutely ordinary, routine, everyday this all is. They fish to eat, they fish to feed their family, they fish, this is what they do. James, John, and their father Zebedee, they were mending their nets. This is not a story of people crying out to God on their deathbed. Not a people tortured by their addiction calling out to God for mercy. This is not a story of of people crying in desperation having lost their job or their home or their loved one. There's no crisis. There's no presenting disaster. It's it's the light of the world walking right into one of those sort of fine, good, routine days where you're doing what you do. The commute the job, the, the emails, the school, the getting the kids here or there, the groceries, the doctor appointment, the spreadsheets, the meetings. And what does Jesus do when he walks right into the rhythm and the routine? Well, he disrupts it. Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. In rabbinic speech, follow me was a summons. Become my student, my apprentice, come to my school, live with me. It really was a whole life immersion in learning from, studying with, and always following the teacher. It meant leaving behind not just bad things, but in fact good central things. Job, family. Of course it meant going towards something as well. Jesus goes on, I'll make you fishers, fishers of people. And I think people sometimes worry about that line from Jesus because honestly, at first glance, it really does sound a bit like Jesus is calling them to sort of bait, lure, and, and hook unsuspecting people onto something they want nothing of. The truth is, Jesus is just using fishermen's vernacular to sort of speak at their level, essentially saying, I'm going to make you the kind of people who change lives for good. 
Or as theologian Dale Bruner puts it in his commentary, Jesus' promise is to make the disciples, quote, effective and influential with people by teaching the way of love. And if you think about it, that's actually something all of us want pretty deeply. You think about your relationships with your, your children or parents or family or friends, your work, the city, your enemies. I mean, absolutely, by way of love, we want to be effective and influential. Absolutely, we want to make a genuinely good difference. This is a God-given ache. Follow me. I will make you fishers of people. Immediately, they put down their nets and followed. If you've heard this story before, I think oftentimes we marvel at what they leave behind. Jobs, family, the most important, good, central stable things and it's stunning I will add it's it's equally stunning that they would leave a situation where they're the expert in their field they know how to do it they know the rhythms they know how it should go they know how to fix it mend the nets if it's broken they leave that that they might go back to school and become students again I mean have you have you ever gone back to school one of the main things I did on, on my sabbatical was, was take a Spanish class each day for about a month while we were in San Miguel, Mexico. I didn't grow up taking Spanish. I opted for French back in high school. And other than a, learning a few Spanish phrases here and there over the years, most especially when I joined a team from Grace Covenant in 2015 to take a, a trip to Honduras, uh, I really don't know Spanish. In fact, I took the placement test there in, in San Miguel, and I understood almost nothing on the piece of paper in front of me, which, which placed me happily, squarely, in level one. As it turned out, the level one class at the time I was available to take it had nobody else in it. It was just me and me professora, Roman. And actually, I, I proved a quick learner with the vocabulary and the verb conjugation in the workbook we were using because uh, these concepts and the words didn't look all that dissimilar from French. And Roman, he, he caught on to this. He commended me, and he said after a few days that he was going to switch how the class was being run. We would begin using the workbook a lot less. Instead, we were going to practice a lot of listening and speaking. Now, if you've ever studied a foreign language, you know that it is one thing to memorize words, and that, that, that takes some effort, wholly another to hear full sentences and paragraphs, understand them, and, and then start trying to say something of meaning back. He'd begin each day, ¿Cómo estás? Oh, bien, ¿y usted? Oh, muy bien, Bobby. Gracias. And then he'd ask something different, but fairly simple every day, like, what did you do this morning before class? in Spanish, and there'd be this incredibly prolonged silence that would descend upon the class. At first, most of the time, I, I really wasn't even sure what he was asking. It just sounded so fast. It was so different from my Duolingo app on my phone that just gently speaks the Spanish. I confess, initially, I sometimes would respond to Roman in French. Which sounds ridiculous, but I just wanted to show I was not totally brainless and slow and inept. <laughs> Eventually, I started to ask him to repeat what he said 
clarify, simplify it, if at all possible. Going back to school is humbling. Perhaps especially when the most critical thing you're supposed to learn really sounds quite basic. Listening, understanding, and speaking. And the truth is, when Jesus calls us to follow him, it is most fundamentally an invitation not simply to know more information or to memorize all the words and right words and creeds. Familiarity with the language of God absolutely has, has a significant place. But, but most fundamentally, follow me is an invitation to learn how to hear and understand and speak. It's an invitation to learn how to discern the voice of Jesus amidst all the other competing voices around us. An invitation to grow in understanding his language of love and justice that can sound, quite frankly, so foreign to most of the ways we speak and act and learn to work in this world. It's an invitation eventually even to be the mouthpiece and action of the language of the kingdom of God. And it starts always with a summons to go humbly back to school. Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they will no longer be the experts. They leave to spend considerable time just listening which is part of why that famous Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gives actually follows quickly upon our scene today. Training begins with listening. New language acquisition is not easy or or quick. But how beautiful when we, we start to grow in our ability with a language. When we order our first meal in a restaurant and it's almost like it's natural, minus the just horrendous accent when we have our first mini conversation with a store clerk in their language it's kind of invigorating there's there's a spark there's an energy and how beautiful when in the most ordinary of scenes the most ordinary of days amid all the competing voices and rhythms we begin to learn how to discern the voice of Jesus walking right in our midst And we even start to understand. More, we we even begin risking sitting down one good thing, one stable thing. Because for such a time as this, the the lead of love is moving this way. You know, I, I think of two years ago, this very week, a rally was being planned over at Lee's Circle where some of you remember a group from Tennessee planned to come with with guns and stand at the circle and, 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 and uh, make their statement and counter-protesters began to rally to, to make their statement. And, and this church, being right next to the monument, had to discern what, if anything, we'd do on that Saturday of the rally that would inevitably have quite a few varied folks right outside the, the front doors. We'd, we'd just seen what happened in Charlottesville a month ago and, and so there was a good bit of, of debate about what a wise, loving, good thoughtful way forward would would be and there weren't easy answers i mean do do we open any doors on on that saturday for for care or or prayer should someone need it um do we do we keep that closed and do something else and, and avoid harm either to this space or someone in this space the session had some open forums with you all the congregation and hear our thoughts and there were a lot of different uh perspectives and then the session met to th- themselves 
because certainly that is their call is to discern how God is calling for such a time as this. And, and I'll never forget the meeting where the session gathered for, for that decision and, and sort of the gravitas of, uh, the, that was collectively felt as, as they gathered around the, the table. I'll also never forget early in the meeting when uh, one of the elders, Dana McKnight, spoke up. And upon, he said, upon first hearing about this planned rally right, right in front, Dana said, quote, uh, my initial reaction was annoyance and then anger. In fact, in a reflection that he wrote and shared with this congregation in worship two years ago, he said to you all, quote, I immediately thought of the dangers inherent in the churches being in, in the vicinity, vicinity of potential violence, and my, and my thought was that it would be best uh, to do nothing. He went on to share that, that, he, that, that he did um, go to his Bible, and he was praying through Psalm 91. The beginning there, I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. And he listened for God to speak through the word God promises to speak through. God, what does the language of your kingdom have to say? And he inclined his ear to sort of parse that sometimes almost foreign sounding language to our natural rhythms and ways. I'll add that it's at these kind of moments, if you've known what it is to discern a, a difficult or trying decision or direction, that we are most likely tempted to respond in French. To respond with a language we're comfortable with. In a way where we can feel competent and control with whatever we need to discern. How often we can short-circuit the language-learning discernment process by trying to fall back on the familiar language. Dana pressed through that, and actually he, he just kept listening for the voice of Jesus in still other parts of Scripture because, again, this listening, this language acquisition, it, it can be trying, it can take time. And, and, he, and he said, quote, Yeah, I thought of Moses who heard a call from God and reply, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? To which God replied, But I will be with you. I thought of Jonah, Dana went on, who fled to Tarshish rather than obey the summons of God, only to, in the end, be doing the will of God. He, he just sort of was sharing his process for, for, for listening for Jesus, walking along in the ordinary days to speak a word, even as a very real darkness seemed to cover the land in those days right after Charlottesville. He finally went on in that meeting and, and, he, and he said to the session that night, and so... I can't believe this is about to come out of my mouth. Which was his saying, way of saying, this makes no sense coming from a person who thought, as he did a month ago, this is like speaking a different language. What I'm about to say entails more risk, not less, more questions, not less, but still summarily, I think we should open in some capacity for prayer in the midst of the rally. The, the clincher for him was he just thought about maybe some college students who are young and don't know a lot, a lot and they're showing up for a rally for the first time. Maybe something gets out of hand. Maybe something goes wrong. I just can't imagine not being able to offer a space for prayer should even one need it. A God-given ache to be effective and influential by way of love. Right as he finished... He discovered others in that session room, quite surprisingly, had sensed the Holy Spirit saying very kind of similar things. And it scared everyone in the room a little bit. It amazed everyone in the room a little bit. 
It always does when one finds a glimpse of shared clarity around a foreign language. I mean, ultimately, as as you may remember, the session voted to have the sanctuary uh, available for prayer with different leaders from different congregations right in our vicinity, um, hosting an hour of prayer each day through the, each hour through the rally, and the police cooperatively uh, assisting, actually, with the effort. And as you may also recall, the verdict of that particular day in Richmond was nothing really happened. I mean, praise be to God. Some folks rallied, some folks protested, nothing got out of hand, most everyone kind of dispersed after a couple hours. I could imagine that may have been the verdict in the Roman Empire on the day when Jesus called Peter and Andrew, James and John. Nothing really historical or or memorable or huge happened that day. Ordinary day, largely forgotten in history. These moments never make the press because language acquisition takes so much time and patience and humility and practice before the fruit of it is known. And yet these moments when Jesus calls and disciples humble themselves unto language school, they do get recorded in Holy Scripture and they're never forgotten in the kingdom of God. Because it's precisely these ordinary moments wherein Jesus confronts the darkness that covers the land. For Jesus knows if he raises up disciples, if he raises up people willing to follow him in the way of love and justice at every turn of their life, If he can raise up a people who are absolutely fluent in that kingdom language and way, the light shall dawn, shall break into the darkness, and the darkness shall not overcome it. I mean, goodness, look at the church today. From that inception of four, so long ago. They say you know that a language is really starting to take root when you dream in that language. What are your dreams for your life? For your family? For this congregation? For this city? For this nation? For this world? How are those dreams shaped and informed by the language of Jesus. Perhaps some of us have some answers, and, and perhaps some of us, since we need to join some of the other students and teachers in the room this fall and ourselves, go back to school. And good thing, Jesus is teaching on the Sermon on the Mount next Sunday. I look forward to it. And really, the truth is once a disciple, always a disciple. Following Jesus is a lifelong learning course. And God knows that. And so God is quite faithful in God's part of the process, which means you can be sure that right now God is currently actively teaching. School is in session. And so as you scan your ordinary day, your routines and your rhythms, the church's routines and the church's rhythms, where do you hear the voice of Jesus? Where is there a call to shift or move or let go, even if perhaps a good thing, that we might follow the lead of love for such a time as this? Where do you hear those simple light dawning upon darkness words, follow me, I will make you fishers of people, 
And if any part of you feels like I did sitting in Spanish class wondering what is being said to you, if we're hearing things rightly, how to respond, you can do what I quite often did and just ask the teacher again. So let's pray. God, we give you thanks that you are faithful to speak to us, to keep teaching, to keep calling us back to yourself with that most basic summons, follow me. And I will make you effective and influential by way of love with people. But we confess as we scan our lives and scan this church and scan this world, we are having a hard time discerning precisely how you call us to follow in this moment, this time. We confess, actually, we're far more adept at understanding the language of self-preservation or the language of success or the language of fear or the language of anxiety. These promptings can so easily lead our path. But in this ordinary moment, we sense your nearness again and we ache to hear the language and voice of love. Could you speak patiently and openly at our level that we might understand. And if you are calling us to let go of something or to shift something or to leave something or to reorder something, pour out not only understanding upon our hearts but courage and trust and love. Help us, your church, become utterly fluent in the language and ways of your kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.